Before we start today's video, we'd like to thank Lithium Royalty Corp, listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange, ticker symbol LIRC. We'll share more later in the video. I'm Howard Klein from uh, RK Equity. Uh, Rodney's my partner. Uh, I don't know if Rodney said it at the beginning, but if anyone here um, is interested in getting our newsletter, go to our website at rkequity.com and register your email there. And uh, we publish uh, the Lithium Ion Bowl, which is a newsletter. We also have a podcast, audio podcast called Lithium Ion Rocks and a YouTube channel called uh, Rockstock Channel. So you could also go on YouTube and uh, look up Rockstock Channel and subscribe and uh, hit the notification bell and you'll see all of our content. Uh, we have been uh, in the lithium space for 14 years. Um, uh, I have been, um, and we've had some uh, track record of success with Lithium Americas and Piedmont Lithium and Hard Rock uh, very recently with Winsome Resources, but uh, we have been big proponents um, of Hard Rock Spodramine story is over all others uh, types uh, clay dealy you know or brine and uh, we maintain a scoreboard uh, rk equity scoreboard which has grown from i don't know 10 or 12 you know 10 years ago to 50 around tesla's battery day to now 200 and uh, steadily uh, you know uh, there's been fashions within uh, that scoreboard but uh, what has risen to the top have been uh, spodumene stories specifically. So I do note that uh, all of the companies here are spodumene stories. So that's uh, why I'm bringing that up. And uh, they are in uh, various hot geographies um, outside of Western Australia. There's been a lot of activity in Western Australia. So Blake, uh, lithium ionic, is uh, in Minas Gerais, Brazil, um, hoping to uh, emulate uh, Sigma Lithium's uh, <laughs> success. That'd be nice. um, and uh, Simon... Forgive me if I'm going to mispronounce your last name. Acapetta. No. Good enough. All right. Yeah. So he's the uh, chief development officer of Winsome Resources, which is uh, following in uh, Patriot Battery Metals footsteps uh, with a significant discovery in uh, James Bay, uh, but with the uh, Livent uh, merging with Allchem uh, to form Arcadium. Arcadium is like Argentina and Canada. Uh, there are two big projects there, Namaska and uh, the James Bay project. So we think uh, Quebec is uh, with Piedmont and um, Sayana restarting uh, production at North American Lithium. Uh, it's a jurisdiction that uh, is going to be up and coming, as is Brazil, um, and as is Africa, where Amanda Harsis is the uh, CFO of Atlantic Lithium in Ghana. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that project, but uh, they're partnered with Piedmont Lithium. And uh, Killian Charles. Um, so also in James Bay, Quebec, uh, backed by um, Cisco, uh, the very successful gold company. And uh, you all heard from Rodney Hooper, my partner, who will, uh, um, I guess I'll ask you some questions, but you feel free to ask questions as well on yeah. that. But you all just heard from Rodney, but I guess I'll just start in uh, order here. Blake, why don't each of you just introduce your companies just a little bit, uh, and then we'll see where we go from there. Yeah, sure. Great. Um, I won't leave any time for anybody else. So I'm going to do like a 20 minute. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a, a hard rock asset, uh, Spodumene in Minas Gerais, Brazil. It's right next door to Sigma Lithium, which is a over $4 billion company now. Um, we're looking to close that valuation cap. Um, I, I'd say early stage, but we're, we're transitioning into um, submitting for construction license um, and, and hopefully being in a position to actually construct the project uh, starting next year and be into production in 2025. And um, that's aggressive considering we formed as a company last year. Uh, we've done two resources, a PEA uh, with a $1.6 billion post-tax NPV and 121% post-tax IRR. 
uh, one of the key advantages, I would say, uh, there's so many great projects up here, <laughs> you're gonna hear all about them, uh, but one great advantage of, of Minas Gerais and Brazil is, is the pace uh, at which we can move. Um, drilling off these projects always has great pace, I think, with, with pegmatites. Um, but the permit process, the timelines, uh, there's a blueprint in front of us with Sigma. You know, we can move quickly. Um, that, that's where we're at. We're sort of that, that exploration into development phase story, looking to uh, obviously close that gap with, with Sigma lithium. And your market cap currently? 250 million Canadian. And listed in Canada only? Only in Canada. We have an over-the-counter listing for uh, US, but, but generally, yeah. Okay. Simon? Yeah, excellent. Um, the Winsome Resources has a flagship asset in the James Bay region of Quebec called the Adena Lithium Project. It was discovered uh, less than a year ago and um, on the back of a, a very good intercept, uh, over 160 metres worth of mineralised um, lithium uh, in pegmatite. Uh, we've, it, it's actually attracted probably the majority of our human and, and financial capital over the last 12 months. If you believe uh, the research analysts and their reports that they've uh, put out to market, then you believe that a resource uh, announcement is imminent. Um, their ranges are 40 to 50 million tonnes plus of, of uh, maiden mineral resource estimate, which is significant on a global scale. We top five in, in Canada. It is uh, mineralized virtually from surface uh, kilometer strike length, uh, open a long strike and at depth, and is supported by a management team, uh, both in Canada and in Australia, uh, who are proven in exploring, developing, producing, uh, constructing and running hard rock lithium businesses in Australia. Um, our chairman is, is Stephen Biggins, previous managing director of Core Lithiums. Our CEO is, is Chris Evans, previous chief operating officer of Altura Mining uh, during its ramp up. My background is finance. I was the CFO of Core Lithium during its ramp up period and we're very excited to be bringing this project uh, into production uh, over the coming years. Market capitalization of uh, around $200 million with $70 million uh, in the bank, or, or just under that as we speak. If you believe uh, Petri Battery Metals valuation and you back calc what the market is attributing to our expected resource, then they're valuing us at somewhere between 15 and 20 million tonnes. Look forward to creating value for shareholders, I think, over the journey. Okay, great, Amanda. Hi, um, I'm Amanda Harsis. Um, Atlantic Lithium has the Awoya Lithium Project on the coast of Ghana. We currently have 35.3 million tonnes of resource. Um, we're a near-term producer. We're going to be in production in 18 months. Uh, we have completed our DFS. We have our mining lease um, and all systems go now to be shovel ready um, by September next year when we get our operating permit. Um, and we'll be going into production, uh, first production in May uh, 2025 with our main plant being built and ready uh, in the first half of 2026. All right, Killian. Um, <laughs> CEO of Brunswick Exploration. We are one of the largest grassroots exploration company uh, in North America, squarely focused on Canada. Our view is quite simple that there is a discovery boom currently happening in Canada, including the James Bay region, as we've heard winsome right here. We're predominantly focused on our latest discovery, which was announced uh, three months ago, which is the Mirage uh, property, where we've just wrapped up a 5,000-meter drill program. We're going to be doing a minimum of 15 in Q1 next year, 15,000 meters. Um, but we're still pushing very hard on making new discoveries and are angling our portfolio to take advantage of that exploration boom as much as possible. Um, obviously, we're 
a bunch of Montrealers born and raised, and as mentioned, part of the Osisco Group, which built the largest gold mine in Canada. Um, current market cap is around plus or minus $175 million, and we have about $15 million in the bank account. Thank you. Jumping in here from the editing room to tell you about Lithium Royalty Corp. Lithium Royalty Corp is at the center of a global energy transition and manages a globally diversified portfolio of lithium-focused royalties in electrification and decarbonization. With 32 royalties on 29 higher-grade, lower-cost projects from exploration to production, LIRC covers all the bases with well-managed risk, ESG considerations, and a scalable royalty structure. Lithium Royalty Corp is traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange ticker symbol LIRC. To find out more, visit lithiumroyaltycorp.com. Okay. Um, I think everybody was here for Rodney's presentation. Uh, I'm going to um, ask Rodney a question, but I'm going to just make an observation that, uh, okay, so Brazil, two, Quebec, one, Ghana, various stages of development, um, all around equal market caps, around $200 million. Rodney, on the scoreboard, right? So I just mentioned that Spodumene, Assets in general have risen, you know, relative to other types, but uh, there's a great disparity of valuations on the scoreboard still. And you talked a lot about the volatility in the immature lithium market. What do you think accounts for? Uh, what are some of the reasons why there's such a big valuation discrepancy among you know these four companies and broadly within the? I don't know universe. if I necessarily can get in the mind of every investor, but. Um... I, I suppose to some extent, um, you know, with respect to um, to Atlantic, you've had some negative press out of Africa, which is unfairly spilled over. We keep trying to explain on the Fraser Institute the bottom three uh, countries in Africa in terms of, of uh, mining or investor friendliness is Zimbabwe, DRC, and Mali, and the top in the top three is Ghana. So they're on the opposite ends of the spectrum. But um, I think part of the problem, uh, we're not part of the problem, Howard. I think the variability in investing is lithium is an industry in its infancy. It doesn't have a lot of institutional support at the exploration and development end versus the Albemarle's and so on of this world. When retail investors drive um, the market, they tend to look for short-term returns and tend to look for themes rather than play out, you know, on the investment thesis. And I think that's, uh, you know, you should, you should think that, inve that institutional investors would climb in as companies evolve, but they don't seem to have got there yet. I think at some point we will reach a critical scale where, you know, it'll be it'll get the respect it deserves. I think you always Rodney Danish or whatever, and if you can't get any respect, <laughs> lithium will get there. Um we're at the vagaries of um individual private investors until that point comes. Um but uh I, I guess the other thing is um hot you know, hot areas and uh, premiums for takeover for M and A potential as well. That seems to have some impact. Okay, great. Killian, um, as a uh, Quebecois, and um, we, we talk about uh, in Australia, we have a lot of rock music references and what we do. And Australia is like kind of crocodile rock, um, but not just rock music references, but just pop culture references as well. You've also had uh, a lot of crocodile Dundee 
uh, Australians coming into North America, which I think uh, is represented by Simon and uh, and Chris Evans. Um, so let's between Simon and Killian, who has a better shot of succeeding in uh, Canada, the Crocodile Dundees or the uh, homegrown Quebecois? Look, I, I think there's room for both, personally. You know, at, at the end of the day, Quebec is a, <clears throat> remains a particular nation, definitely in North America, being predominantly Francophone. It does have its, its quirks. But you've had a multitude of outside companies that have successfully exploded mines throughout all of Quebec. I think, more importantly, you know, the, the reason why, you know, you're seeing a lot of interest in Canada predominantly from the Australians, is that, you know, they saw that exploration boom. They saw that exploration success, you know, through uh, 2010 to 2020 in Western Australia. The equivalent time in Canada is predominantly TSX-listed company on the lithium side. Been an unmitigated disaster uh, with a number of, honestly, bankruptcies, whether it's North American lithium or Namaska. You know, there, there was a little bit of a disconnect on that front from the average, you know, typically ASX is for Australia is for ASX players and Canada is for TSX players. Having that disconnect on the uh, equity side definitely caused a gap and, you know, a number of uh, Canadian projects or assets across all Canada be snapped up before we are now undergoing a bull market, well, a little bit of a bull run in terms of exploration in Canada. Um, I think that's going to stay the same. I do expect to predominantly see a number of Australian companies because that's where a lot of the expertise remains. But again, personally, I believe that there, there's room for, for everyone here. All right, Simon? Yeah, that's very diplomatic. And, and I agree with, <laughs> with, with everything that you've said, although I'd probably pick a different song um, and I'd go with Thunderstruck um, because I'd consider ACDC Australian. Um, and that's probably how I think about lithium over the last three or four years in, in Oz. And you've, you've gone from effectively green bushes being, um, and, and still being, um, you know, one of the best hard rock, if not the best hard rock lithium asset globally, to, you know, a handful of, of new entrants into the hard rock lithium space um, developed um, through the last cycle and a half in Australia over the last four years. That's generated a lot of, a lot of wealth for domestic uh, institutions um, for retail shareholders as well and it's as uh, has been alluded to created a lot of uh, expertise in hard rock lithium mining um, where it's still motivated like anyone is um, to, to keep you know rinse and repeating repeating that success so we look at other upcoming jurisdictions as somewhere like Western Australia becomes saturated um, and you know the Patriot battery metals led the way with their discovery in the James Bay region you know, 12 to 18 months ago and the discovery that uh, at, at our Adena lithium project um, with, with a very, very good intercept, one of the first intercepts has, has really uh, attracted a lot of people to the region uh, and Aussies love to, to take a pump and uh, that, that's where, where many of us have headed. Okay, that's great. And uh, Blake, so you're listed on the uh, TSX. How, how long have you been listed? And uh, I, I want to ask just about... Um, there's a lot of comparisons. I make a lot of comparisons uh, between Australia or iron ore and uh, spodumene and uh, iron ore is dominated by Australia and also Brazil. And uh, Sigma Lithium has uh, articulated a view that, you know, they could be like the Vale, you know, in, in that category. But um, there's obviously some additional uh, companies. So, so just what do you think about that comparison? But also, um, 
just the, the evolution of your company, which I, I know a little bit less well um, from a, a financing perspective. And, uh, you know, from here, I guess you have a resource and you set a PEA. Um, what's the path to uh, production from here? <clears throat> yeah, there was a lot in that. Um, I, uh, I'm not yet promoting that we're going to be valet. <laughs> uh, but I'll leave Anna to do that. Um, but I think we're in probably one of the most important hard rock belts in the world. Um, it's emerging uh, that way. It's extremely high grade, um, coarse grained uh, spodumene, uh, one of the most uh, prolific pegmatite belts in the world prior to lithium actually having this kind of run. It, it produces 90% of the world's semi-precious gemstones, and that's because of the unique geology there. Uh, and I won't go into that too much, even though I'm a geologist, that the that people don't want to fall asleep in here. Um, but basically, you know, I think that when we look at this belt, what Anna's talking about is between ourselves, some of the companies around us, Sigma, uh, there's probably, you know, two to 300 million tons already sitting there. There's a discovery rate of over 10 million tons a month uh, in, in this belt. Um, and so it's emerging as something that could potentially someday look like a, you know, a Pilgangura, green bushes type, type scale, and it'll start to get that attention. I think to Rodney's point, it's, it's a young industry. And I think that's a really good point and that the, the business of it is actually only starting now. Last year was sort of the, the rush into the lithium space and traded like a crypto, you know, and, and I think, um, you know, that's, that's a difference now is that these projects up here will be uh, lower cost to produce than many. Um, they're going to work in a, in a market that pulls back and, and demand will continue to, to be there for, for some time. We're into the real market now, I think. So I, I would say you're in the, the young portion of that. Um, on the finance side, we're, we're $20 million in the bank. And, and so we're well financed and we're going through a feasibility. And obviously now what we're trying to do is, is secure construction financing and, and get to a place where we can actually de-risk the construction of the project build it um, uh, quickly. And again, that, that is a, a key element um, about where we are in Minas Gerai. There's a clear path on permitting. Um, and we have a blueprint through Sigma on how to build these things quickly, uh, how to do it on low cost. Sigma built their project for $160 million. Um, you know, if we can even come close to that, uh, you know, I think it leaves a lot of room for, for success in, in, in our story. But um, yeah, I think that the space is evolving and where we are in, in Minas Gerai and in the Lithium Valley is, is emerging as one of the top kind of lithium jurisdictions in the world. And what's the capex, and what's the uh, uh, production tonnage? Yeah, so we're using in the PA we use two hundred and thirty million. Twenty five percent of that is contingency. So, you know, it's the third largest cost in it. Um, but let's say it's two hundred and thirty, um, and I think that that is a very manageable capex for a company that's a two hundred and fifty million dollar market cap. And um, and I forget your second question, but I, you know, as far the, the, as how many spot, I mean tons. Yeah, we're looking to produce, produce 200,000 tons per annum to start and very much phase our way in. So our approach has been get into production as quickly as possible, get into the cycle now. We know in this belt we're going to continue to make discoveries and grow. We're, we're 33 million tons total right now. Reported, I think by January, we'll be you know closer to 50 plus million tons, which is a key threshold for scale. Um, and it'll just continue to grow from there. And it's it's a, just an unbelievably beautiful belt for, for making discoveries. Um, and if we can be something that produces 200,000 tons with scalability to go, you know, to four or 500,000 tons, then your Liontown scale, your Sigma scale, the, these are the, the multi-billion dollar assets out there. And so our approach is slow and steady, hit the catalysts and, and, um, and keep executing on exploration. And what were the expected operating costs? Yeah, I think all in sustaining costs were somewhere between five and $600 a ton. So all in sustaining costs? All in sustaining costs. And that's typical of this belt. And again, what I would point to here, you know, OPEX cost about 350. 
a ton, which is exactly the same as a, you know, a Sigma, what Latin is looking at. Everybody in our belt, roughly the same. CBL is a private producer, been there for 30 years, very much in that cost range too. So we have real proof of concept all around us, a blueprint around us. Um, and again, I point to that. These projects will be uh, low cost producers. Um, and, and I think that's going to help in, in this current market as, as lithium pulls back and, the, and we actually build a, you know, a supply chain around lithium. Okay. Um, there's been a lot of M&A activity in um, Western Australia, um, and uh, Sigma has announced uh, they have a process underway that uh, they expect to have some outcome from at the end of this year. It could be an acquisition. It could be some sort of partnership. Uh, but Amanda, um, has uh, her company, has actually received a bid that um, in Western Australia, they've had public bids, and, and typically the, the stock price kind of goes to near the bid price, in some cases over the bid price, expecting that there's going to be an, an overbid. Um, but in uh, Atlantic Lithium's case, um, there was a bid. It trades in Australia as well as in London, and the news of the bid came out in Australia, and so Australia just assumed it would... Um, you know, come near the bid price. So it was up 45% on that day, but um, your main trading and liquidity is in London. So when you guys woke up over here, uh, you decided um, to trade it up only 20% or 25%. <laughs> so you're now trading, I think at a 25, 30% discount. Yeah, it's around 30% discount to the bid price. Um, so look, it's, it's a bit odd, but um, you know, we continue on and we are seeing over the last week uh, uptick. It's slow, but we'll, I think we'll get there. Um, as a near-term producer with all-in sustaining costs of 675, um, I think the story will come out around that we are going to be in production. You know, we're a partner of choice in Ghana. We have broken the back of our permitting. Um, our DFS is based on 75% actually real tenders. So these are all real numbers. Um, we're growing our team, our operational team now. You know, if you follow Twitter, you'll see... All of our team in Ghana have been with um, Aramura, who is from Minres, um, who ran um, Wajina and Mount Marion, um, with the team, growing that team in Ghana. So, um, we've got a lot of um, good news stories coming up in the next six months, so I think we'll see an uptick in when people realise that this is real and it's happening. Um, in the ASX, there's probably 125 companies with lithium in the name. It's very hard for a retail investor to discern whether something is you know, rock chips over here or a real producer over there. Um, but we'll be producing 360,000 tonnes a year. It's a globally significant asset it's in the top 10 of producing assets in, in the world. So um, it'll, it'll get out there and, the, and the, you know, the story will kind of um, come home as we continue to um, get towards production. But on the AIM, there's only like five companies with lithium in its name. Right. Well, we're the top company <laughs> on AIM. <laughs> so all you guys here in London, um, you know, have a... <clears throat> smaller universe to choose from, but you should understand, I think, uh, the dichotomy and uh, valuations across exchanges. The question I asked Rodney, I think I represent if it's, there's an ASX premium and then there's an AIM and a uh, TSX discount. Uh, these things are, are ways in which if, you know, you think that I grew up, you know, Columbia Business School, efficient markets, like global, you know, there are arbitrage opportunities, one would think, you can't really, it's an immature market, you study this market, there's asymmetric risk, and you could find um, unusual dichotomies of things that you know, may be more overvalued or richly valued or need to grow into their valuations, and other companies are you know, very far advanced. So you want to produce, I think, 200,000 tons. Your project is how many tons? 360,000 per 360, annum. 360,000 yeah. tons. And that is 
would put you, I think, what in it's the top? It's top 10 um, globally, um, number three in Africa mm-hmm. after um, Gulamina and Monono, but those companies are a little bit on standby at the moment. So we'll be, you know, top one in Africa at the moment. Um, so, yeah, so we're, you know, right up there behind Liontown in terms of race production. But, you know, with uh, CapEx of $185 million, um, where and strategic partners in Piedmont Lithium in the States and actually the Ghana Sovereign Wealth Fund, um, you know, we're, we're, we're all right and we're de-risked and we're ready to go. We're actually on the way. And I think on our scoreboard, I think there are like four uh, major African projects that are listed. You know, but two of them are in trading halt. Three. Three are in trading halt? No, no. Three are li- listed. Well, there's Codel. There's two. Co- Codel. Oh, Codel, Codel as, well. as well. Sorry, yeah. So right. four and, you know, two. And are only two are trading. Yeah, but One's two. in Mali and one's uh, in Ghana. Mm. But it's interesting that two are in trading halt because of, um, to Rodney's point, um, the bottom of the Fraser Institute, yes. um, DRC and, and Mali. Uh, uh, again, sovereign risk is not always priced into the valuations in addition to uh, the stock exchange, you know, where it's listed. Um, and, uh, and what's your CapEx? So CapEx 185 million. 185 and you're 250. 250. Okay. So 185 for 380,000. Yeah. So the CapEx and capital intensity, and this is to Rodney's point, all of these are extremely low, by the way, like it's very doable 250 versus a 200 million market cap. And, and likewise, in Atlantic's case, if you look at daily flow sheets, which have, you know, or clay, you know, $2.3 billion or $2 billion, you know, off of a 200, you question how are these you know, massive equity dilution risk in that case. Uh, in, um, in Atlantic's case, you have Piedmont funding a great bit of that, but you have what, Yeah, like so a 40... Piedmont fund around 70% of our CapEx. We've got the Ghana Sovereign Wealth Fund now, who's a strategic investor. Um, and now do another portion. Atlantic needs to find uh, 38 million, and we've got an offtake process underway for some of our remaining 50% available offtake. Uh, Killian and Simon, your earlier stage, not yet out there even with a resource, and in Killian's case, just the current early drill results. So are you? But we've seen um, strategics like Rio Tinto uh, come in to companies in exploration in, in James Bay. So how could you talk about a little bit? You know any. Sh- strategic interest you know you've been receiving and what the nature of it is and you know strategically how you think about that at this early stage of development yeah i think it goes back to you know mention again immature but it's also immature from the perspective of even the majors themselves you know when i look at the pipeline of let's say albert marley or alkim or a number of other companies that are considered you know the the flag bearers in the space it looks nothing like that of a BHP or a tech or any other company where they will have that, that broad spectrum of this is the next mine and this is my project behind it and that's the project behind it again. Um, they have, you know, growth till 2026, 2027, depending on the company. But after that, it becomes a lot harder to point where exactly that growth is going to come from. They've been, and rightly so, but they've been very much focused on uh, acquisition of assets that need to be put into production right now. And so it creates this, you know, interesting setup when we start to look at anything a little bit further out on the, we'll call it the medium term, they have to remain buyers, right? We just saw with Piedmont, bring up Piedmont again, acquiring what is ostensibly not that great of a project in Newfoundland, but still having to build out that pipeline further out. To continue growing because that's what all these companies are saying yeah we're going to keep growing forever 
Um, but it's not that obvious. And so they have to come in at a much earlier stage. And that's where, to bring up your point, Rio Tinto is trying to aggressively uh, move into the space. You know, there's a number of players, hearing a number of rumors, again, you know, coming across to James Bay, which is one of the better environments in terms of endowment, globally speaking. I think there's a few across the world, you know, Western Australia, Brazil, Quebec, those are all be regions that will be well-defined for um, lithium production. But at the same time, you know, I we're seeing a lot of these companies coming in a little bit too late. Now starting to say, okay, I'm going to buy this asset, and then where do I go from here? And being forced to interact with a part of the market, they don't have a lot of experience, junior mining, exploration. They, they really have no expertise on that. They're great mine builders, but it's shocking to me that I'll have a bigger exploration team than some of the majors out there, quote unquote, in the space. Uh, to do lithium exploration. So it does give, again, it speaks to the immaturity of the market and it gives a much larger stick, if you will, to companies that are at an earlier stage. And, you know, Brunswick, we've been approached. We're not interested in doing anything of that nature at this point in time because we have the capacity of advancing these assets ourselves. There's no real need to just vend them off to somebody else until we've captured most of, you know, that value growth to our investors. Simon? Yeah. Yeah, look, great question and, and some good points. Uh, I suppose even from my, my time at Core Lithium, being involved in some of the negotiations with, with strategics all throughout the supply chain from, from the, the miners, uh, the, the converters out of Asia, uh, the CAMs and pre-CAM, the precursor, um, businesses uh, all the way through to the OEMs and the traders like that that interest has been there for quite some time and has been growing uh, to some extent because we had lithium uh, to sell uh, at core in terms of winsome that interest is is there as well from many groups wanting to shore up their supply chains uh, especially those that are looking to invest and have committed to invest billions of dollars in in the region in Quebec and it only takes a trip to Beckencore to to actually visualise what, um, what I'm talking about. Um, I don't think we really need to rush into it as a business. Um, I think there's, there's a lot to say about maintaining uh, optionality. Um, our, our, our project is, is uncommitted. Um, our product's uncommitted. Um, our project is unencumbered. Uh, it's, there's, there's a lot to say about keeping and maintaining corporate appeal. Uh, we're very well funded. We've got access to, to capital all around the world. Um, and we've got a project that is substantial. Uh, it will be it will be mined uh, in the next you know five to ten years. Uh, a big part of the the problem we're trying to solve is how we integrate into the North American supply chain and who we partner with through that process, whilst maintaining corporate appeal in 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 the space. Uh, I don't think there's there's a need to. I don't think there's there's many businesses that will be able to to help us in a material way at this point. Given, given the experience that we have in-house. But, you know, post-resource, I think there'll be something substantial to start engaging with strategics about. Um, but it's really about trying to find the ones that are willing to work with us as we develop the project and, and bring it into production. That gives me comfort in, in the medium to long-term pricing. I think, you know, I think uh, you know, one of the topics of, of this session is, is pricing and it's, it's, it's fairly complex. It's, it's easier to talk to in a, in a simple way, but when you break it down, um, you know, as, as was alluded to earlier, it's, it's an immature market. There are, it's, it, 
there are many moving parts. It's multidimensional. Um, you know, there are no unknowns that, that analysts can, can map out. There are, there are the unknowns that can really shift the dial on pricing. Uh, but, you know, with that being said, we think our project will be able to take advantage of the strategic interest that there is whilst maintaining upside to pricing. Okay. Um, Rodney, a couple of questions for you. Uh, we debate this like all the time, the, um, uh, the spodumene versus iron ore comparison and also the multiple that these things trade at, um, especially the chemical lithium industry, you know, used to trade it when Greenbushes got bought, you know, Talisman, it was at like a 14 times multiple or something like that. Um, but the valuations have gone down very significantly for even the producers. Um, if you could just comment on is spodumene, all of these projects are spodumene projects and we don't have enough time to go into like the vertical integration possibilities. So right now, the really the only option for all of these companies is to sell them to China. Uh, hopefully over time, it will, you know, uh, Tesla, you know, Rodney's, yeah, talk about spodumene versus iron ore, commodity versus specialty chemical. I, I think, Howard, we've had this conversation. I think it, it all comes down to this. If spodumene, if the forward implied price is in backwardation like iron ore consistently is, they are going to trade it at lower multiples than we think they were. Because iron ore, consistently, the forward curve is worse. And if spodumene is seen in the same way, and if the if the futures market evolves that it's they expect a discount, then I'm expecting similar sort of valuation. Okay, so you're not optimistic that uh, lithium or spodumene companies, because there was also a thought like spodumene companies should trade it lower multiples than, let's say, an integrated specialty chemical company like Alivent or an Albemol. Do you subscribe to that? Or do you think that even lithium carbonate and hydroxide producers should trade at um, spodumene or you know copper or iron or like multiples? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question because, of course, the downstream capacity in China can be expanded easily. Um, Albemol and, and Livent still produce some specialty specifically specialty chemical uh, products and at the high end. So if companies have negotiated contracts where they get premium pricing, and that again could be a China, ex-China in that market, um, you could see those company trading at premium premium multiples, but it's gonna, it's gonna come down to how your pricing, your negotiated pricing structure works within companies we had We've had Albemol and others moving from fixed price longer term to cover cost of reinvestment to going to more index linked. Uh, and so that, that's going to matter. Um, and then a question of um, if you have a China versus ex-China, will, will the growth of the future growth opportunities of you know, the likes of Albemol be better because they are IRA compliant and can expand their volumes at almost any amount and have a taker for it because China material is, is not acceptable outside. Of I think growth is a very important component to the multiple because um, I think lithium generally is uh, trading like copper or something that much slower GDP growth, right? So that, that should be factored in whether or not it's especially chemical or commodity, just the growth is not yet being factored in. And that could be just because there's high capital intensity and, you know, high volatility of earnings. We're now in a high interest rate environment, et cetera. So those are things, but we, so the other point I wanted to ask you, Rodney, is just this, um, 
you know, iron ore is a kind of controlled market, you know, with four players uh, mainly. Um, and I've talked about a spodumene duopoly between, you know, Albemarle Minrez, you know, and Pobara. But uh, what do you think of that, you know, given that there's a lot of discoveries of 100 million ton deposits, you know, is, will this duopoly and this price discipline, you know, in spodumene uh, maintain itself? I, I think you're still going to see a collection of, of a handful of players controlling a meaningful amount of the feedstock. That's, I think, how this is going to play out. Chris and Ellison we've seen that in the M&A. Yeah, Chris Ellison and Minrez, you know, seems to think that, and Gina Reinhardt, you know, want to want to control it. Any of you want to comment just on any of that? We only have a, a few seconds left. Blake? I, I would just put on that. They, it, I, I think being cautious on pricing going forward is right. I think understanding that, you know, maybe it trades at a discount, but that these are still high margin, low cost projects, right? That's what makes them particularly interesting right now. And I, I you know, however it shapes out to a, a, a monopoly on, on the space, I think looking at these projects, the value they create, it's extremely important to look at those margins, even at these kind of pulled back prices and, and lithium. And there's still room to come back and still do very, very good business. Great. I just one last thing I'll say is that because lithium relative to all these other markets is still a very small market. And if you believe like benchmark minerals intelligence, if you want to meet you know, the forecast to 2030, 2035 demand, you need something like 80 new mines of 45,000 ton equivalent. And this is like for advanced stage, you know, highly credible um, projects with highly credible people. But that's why the scoreboard is, you know, has 200 companies on it. Maybe like any lithium, any mining company, only maybe five or 10% of these companies are going to be mines, but maybe it'll be a little bit larger in lithium. But uh, thank you all for uh, listening to to this great panel. And thank you to all the panelists. Um, thank, you. Thank, you. thank you. Thank you.